you're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It's the next episode of the Fearless Business Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Waite, a Fearless Business Coach. And uh, I'm really honored um, to have my guest, Dan Knowlton, uh, on the podcast today, who is um, one of um, the sort of most notable up-and-coming uh, marketers here in the UK, worked with some incredibly prestigious um, uh, clients as well. So uh, welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Uh, so you, you've worked, I mean, I'm really looking forward to kind of digging into kind of um, what you're getting up to at the moment, um, uh, business-wise and kind of mm. what you're pressing. So you've worked with some really sort of um, high-end clients, the likes of Nestle, Citibank, Eurotunnel, Boston Consulting Group. Um, but what we're going to be talking about today, we'll dig straight into kind of the, the practical, tactical stuff. You talk a lot about something called advertainment. Mm. Um, so what is that? And how, how can we start to break this down for sort of the coaches, consultants who are listening to this? Yeah, so it's really just a fancy buzzword, but what it, what it's a combination of is entertainment and advertising. So, uh, you know, social media platforms are so saturated with content nowadays, it's very difficult to stand out. I'm so sure if people are listening or watching and they're currently producing content, they would have seen that it's it's a very saturated kind of platform on social media. So it's so important to stand out. So we've found an approach to producing content and running campaigns for brands that doesn't just um, build awareness and grab that attention, but also um, sells products and services and drives trackable revenue. And we've got this model that we use to do that. Um, and yeah, the, it's called advertainment. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting what you were kind of alluding to around kind of the changing sort of uh, marketing and uh, marketplace, as it were, like how like people's approach to it. So I talk a lot about like, you know, when I first set up my business in 2004 and was building websites, you know, um, you could have a, a website and a business card shirt to a BNI meeting and you get clients. Whereas now it's like there's so many different platforms and there's, you know, eight to 10 times the number of businesses as there were sort of, you know, 20, 30 odd years ago, pre-internet in you know, the dawn of the internet age. And I think looking for interesting ways to kind of cut through that noise is super, super important at the moment. Where, like, what, what are some of the common mistakes that you see people make with their marketing, um, you know, right now? It's boring. I think, um, especially with like B2B uh, and a lot of B2C, uh, people get stuck in uh, uh, the kind of framework of being very serious and very corporate. And they forget that ultimately most businesses are producing content and marketing to try and sell their products or services to an end user, to a real human being. And that human being doesn't respond to very corporate businessy uh, messaging. They're a real human being. They've got emotions, you know? So um, one of the biggest mistakes I see is, is people just looking at what other, even what other industry leaders in their industry are producing and just trying to emulate that. And it's all very samey, samey and very boring. Um, yeah. And, and the other biggest mistake which I see people making as well, and you must experience this a lot, is the fact that people kind of just blast out marketing stuff I'm not going to swear yet. I'll have to get my swear kit, my swear jar out there. But this <laughs> stuff I'm very passionate about. People are just blasting out the same old sort of marketing messages like buy my shit, buy my shit, buy my shit. And they're not really paying attention to 
how people are kind of responding to that. They just sit there and go, oh, well, I put this offer out and nobody bought it. Yeah. Like my marketing doesn't Social media work. doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's going on? Like, what's going on there? Because like clearly like social media does do it. All the experts tell us that we need to be on Twitter and LinkedIn and the various different platforms. So clearly it does work. But why why is why are so many people sort of falling off a cliff with their the marketing? People go on to uh, go on to digital platforms and think of it as a traditional face-to-face sales platform. So like traditionally, when you're pitching to someone to work with them, you're directly selling. You're trying to talk about how you can help them overcome a certain problem, you know, why the benefits of working with you, why they should work with you. And people go to social and immediately think, right, this is a platform I can sell my products on. Let's share an offer that I've currently got on this product or, you know, uh, let's share, you know, how great my product is and how it can help you. Whereas if you think about most people don't go on social media to buy stuff, they go on there to be educated. They go on there to be entertained, to be inspired, to fulfill some kind of need that isn't buying your stuff. So you really need to flip that strategy on its head and start producing content that, um, that entertains, that educates, that's inspires. And once you've, you've built that um, up with them, then you can start to sell to them. And it's I, I kind of liken it to the imagine if you walked into a BNI meeting and just like uh, want some coaching. Yeah, coaching? like who does that? I mean, <laughs> I've seen it happen in the past, but I mean, how effective is that? It's not, is it? No, I once had somebody who kind of um, uh, she came up to me and she started like didn't even ask me really how I was or where, where I'd come from or anything like that. Kind of spitting food all over me. Started telling, talk to, talking to me about her insurance policies that she was selling, and I just said, um, "Do you know what? I'm not really interested in buying insurance at the moment. I kind of I've got my stuff with Hiscox. I'm quite happy with them." She literally did a 180 and walked away from me without even saying goodbye. Wow! That's, and I was like, Jesus. "That's harsh." Yeah. <laughs> it's like burned in a, in a networking meeting. It was it was awful. But yeah. probably, like, do you think she probably went around and did that to all 40 people in that meeting? I, I was just wondering whether she actually mm. went home and analysed it, because I doubt she sold anything like that. No. she go, I, what was my ROI from that? <laughs> we had exactly the same experience. Just pre-COVID, we went to Social Media Marketing World in San Diego. My brother and co-founder and I, I was, I was speaking there. And in, like, the networking plaza thing afterwards, there was this lady from a software company that was literally just going around handing out business cards and then just... Just walking away. Yeah, it's just... Well, that was it. Didn't even engage in the conversation. No, just like, oh, we do this thing. Take a business card. It's like, what is that achieving? But also, the thing is, like, at shows and things like that, you know, exhibitions, you know, people have paid to be there to kind of, you know, to sell effectively, you know, or market their business. And yet you get these people who kind of wander around aimlessly who haven't paid to to have a stand there handing out business cards. You're like, that's a bit rude, isn't it? Yeah, I, I still I, I do think it's that's just a lazy approach as well. Though I think ultimately, if you think of a, the decision making process of someone who's going to buy your service or buy your products or service, they don't instantly hear you saying how great it is and suddenly become a customer. They need warming up. They need to understand the problem you solve, how you solve it. They need to build some kind of relationship with you. I think. Uh, you know, as business owners, we're too, uh, we want everything done yesterday. We don't want everything done too quickly. Whereas it takes more than you just saying, here's my product, buy it to convince someone to buy it from you. You know, you need to build that trust and that kind of thing. So. Well, um, da- have you ever heard it come across Dan Priestley's work? So yes. Yeah. Yeah. Key person books. of influence. That's yeah, it, absolutely. So he, he talks about seven, 11, four. So this concepts like seven hours of engagement across 11 different touch points, you know, in four different locations before somebody's actually ready to buy. 
And it's really interesting what you said there about kind of people being too lazy. They're so impatient to kind of get to the sale and take people's money that they forget about like, you know, all of this engagement. The bit before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it. Absolutely. It's kind of like, you know, again, this the dating analogy is probably quite a good one as well. But um how what what sort of um platforms what sort of you know you talk about advertainment but where does that work best because it can't work across all platforms it's got to be tailored hasn't it yeah so so we found it working best across social media that's the kind of main main place that we um focus on but really i guess it can be used anywhere like there there's there's if you think of like a traditional christmas ad or a super bowl ad on tv you know there, there's elements of advertainment being used there um and it doesn't just have to be like entertaining ha ha. Like it could be emotion triggering. If you think of a Christmas ad where there's some kind of like a nostalgic thing happening that you're kind of going, oh, to, if you think of like Sainsbury's, uh, what are the other good ones that are out? Well, there was the uh, Chipotle, wasn't there? We're going back to the start, that advert. So where they kind of went back to free range rather than battery farming. Um, Marks and Spencers, when you kind of see the, you know, it's, it's it, uh, I can't remember what their strap line is for the M&S adverts, but when they, you know, they're drizzling sauce all over. Oh the, yeah, not just you know. any food, M&S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And even the Carlsberg ads as well, where it's kind of like, you know, um, it's kind of like you can have anything you want, you know, and yeah, all that side of it. So I think if you understand that to sell someone something, you ultimately need to have their attention and you need to hold their attention and just talking about the benefits of your product and no, you know, no one cares about your product. So you need to, you need to talk about something that's interesting to the consumer. Um, uh, which is why advertisement works so well, producing content that fulfills those other needs that isn't primarily focusing on selling something, but is cleverly structured to communicate the benefits of the product and service and overcome objections. Like, for example, um, we worked on a campaign uh, and we work with Wall, the UK, um, no, not the UK, the global personal care brand that produces like male grooming products. Yep. Last year, we produced a campaign to sell their flagship Aquablade product and we produced this advertainment kind of hero aware video where we had a main character which was your traditional bloke who was um it was you know en entertaining to watch he was talking through relatable situations and it was captivating but ultimately every you know 10 seconds he was talking about a benefit of the product or, or overcoming an objection of the viewer so yeah if someone wants to see like a, a proper example of advertisement in action head to the wall uk facebook page you'll see it pinned to their profile and yeah, another yeah. one which I particularly like was the Dollar Shave Club as well. So when they came onto the market and they did two very, I, you, you could almost argue that they were kind of taking the piss out of their competition, but actually it was really clever in the way that they kind of sold their product. It was kind of like no fluff. Here's a walkthrough of our warehouse. This is what we're all about and the sorts of customers that we want. Exactly. And Old Spice is another one. I don't know if you've seen any of their ads about, I'm on a horse. And it's like a guy's on a horse and there's just so many random things going on that keeps you captivated. Um, but there, there's a lot of, there's a lot more strategy behind it because, you know, lots of people can produce funny videos, like funny cat videos, but does a funny cat video sell your products and service and help overcome objections? So it's important to have like a structure behind what you're doing when you're producing a piece of advertisement 
uh, content. So what's the, what's the process that you go through when you're sort of um, planning your advertising? And by the way, people, Dan's family, if you can hear them in the background, it's, um, it, this is real life, baby. This is, this is kind of like yeah, the world sorry, that we live yeah, in nowadays. So my son's in the room. <laughs> don't apologize for that. I absolutely love it. At the end of the day, that's like, this is the world that we live in now. So, um, you know, I, I love, I love being able to kind of see behind the scenes and we're going to get to know the real Dan a bit later yeah, on. Just getting used to working from home. So... <laughs> <laughs> It's I, I I had to build an office outside in the garden just so that I didn't have the kids running around in the background. It's the length oh, that I sounds went like a dream. <laughs> this is my man cave. I'd show you around, but the camera's fixed. But um, nice. yeah, I've got my got my bike set up there so I can just jump on it and do oh, a quick turbo nice. session. And all I'm on the kitchen table, so I haven't quite got to your level yet. <laughs> but, um, um, but where no, were we breaking I'm, down? You yeah, were I was going to say, how do you how do you start the process of kind of creating an advertisement? Sort of yeah. Thing? So, so, so step one, and this is like marketing 101, but it's truly understanding who it is you're trying to convince to do something. So like your target market, once you understand who that person is, what their interests are, what kinds of things they're talking about with their friends, um, you can then start to work backwards and develop uh, a creative advertainment concept that taps into those relatable scenarios. So for example, Another company we worked for uh, worked with um, is a gym, so like a gym chain, and uh, you know, uh, they're ultimately their main kind of target market was real kind of gym bros uh, who go to the gym and love to pump iron and that kind of thing. So, so to 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 sell that service to them we had to truly research and understand what a gym bro is into what what scenarios in a gym will they relate to that we can create concepts around to draw them in and then and then sell the gym membership and we created a number of um kind of parody sketches tapping into funny things that happen in the gym that only gym people will get that's a really important point to, to you, you want the, the person watching to be going, oh, I get that. I can relate to that. So it's so important that first step is to truly understand who it is you're trying to convince to do something. I can remember when, uh, it's a slightly embarrassing as a story, but I think I know what you mean about the gym bro thing. I didn't go to the gym very often or for very long, but <laughs> uh, I, I went into David Lloyd on a trial, like 30 day thing. And I remember this guy coming up to me and this never happens in any other scenario, but he came up to me and he's like, like shorts, man, where'd you get those? <laughs> it was like, I was like, I can I cut and he saw how I was amazed and he was like, no, 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 I'm not hitting on you. I'm not hitting on you. I just I really like your shorts. <laughs> Appreciating the shorts. I love it. <laughs> and it's weird because you never you wouldn't get that in Sainsbury's, for example, which are you getting an idea about exactly. my class values now? But um, it's it's those kind of like little nuances, those situations that happen that if you understand them as a marketer, you can tap into. And if I created a piece of content that that kind of poked fun at that situation, I served it to you as an ad you'd get it and you'd think, ah, and you'd either like, you'd definitely watch it and be like, oh, I get this. You could potentially tag your friends in it and be interested in what, what you're watching as well. So like a lot of our audience kind of, you know, they're, they're, they run sort of service client businesses. So sort of small one-man band, one man bands, coaches, consultants, freelancers. So they're probably thinking what kind of scenarios are going to attract like, like that? What could I start to bring into my videos to, to attract people in? How do you come up with the concepts, like the ideas? So, so that next phase is, um, once we've identified who that person is, is doing research to truly understand them. So if there's no one internally that really gets that person, as an agency, we hold interviews, we speak to current customers and, and find out, like, for example, we, we did a, one of the professional campaigns we did with the wall brand. They've got a professional side, they sell to barbers. 
we don't get the lingo of barbers. We don't know what they, you know, the situations that happen. So we had to interview barbers to truly understand who they are. So, uh, you know, interview your customers, ask them questions around, you know, literally things like asking, tell us some funny stories that happen in, in, in your life, in your industry. When was the last time, you know, that something interesting happened. Start to ask those questions to dissect and understand what situations they will relate to. And then once you understand that, what we do internally is um, a traditional kind of uh, flip chart, draw that person in the center and then start to map out those relatable situations that either you get from interviewing them or you get from knowing them yourself and start to just brain dump all these different situations that are relatable to that person. That's the kind of next step that we go for. And I suppose one of the biggest challenges, again, is, you know, a, 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 a small business owners don't necessarily have like the production value that potentially could get through working with some, you know, an agency like yourself. So, um, what, you know, is it acceptable to kind of launch a, a video that you've filmed on your smartphone? Yes. Yes. Like if you look back, there's a, again, there's a, if you look on our Knowlton YouTube channel, I think it was 2017, um, we produced, yes, yeah, so it was only three or the start of 2017, maybe four years ago, we produced um, uh, a video, a sketch, which was an advertisement sketch, which was, uh, uh, what was it called? It was about networking. So we poked fun at what, ha like, like you mentioned earlier about people sort of giving your business cards away. We mentioned, um, we poked fun at the, the situations that happened in a networking group, because at the time we were working with smaller businesses. We knew smaller businesses go to networking groups so they would understand the nuances that happen at a networking group. So, uh, we didn't have loads of expensive equipment. We had like a, a you know, fairly cheap Canon camera. Um, but, you know, uh, we've produced videos when we started with our smartphone. So it, it doesn't have to be, it's more producing something that's relatable initially. Yes, ideally you'd be upping that quality of content as you progress, but it's, it's coming up with the concept that's relatable to the person you're trying to target. It's more important than the quality. And how do you, um, cause again, like there's, there's, you could argue that in terms of doing like advertisement, like high, uh, high production level sort of stuff, there's a little bit of kind of ego involved in that as well, potentially, mm. but, but the key thing is like what results it gets. So how can, again, how can people start to sort of measure what results they're getting th through doing these sort of advertising campaigns? So first of all, they need to understand what they're trying to achieve, you know, and in, in a lot of cases, the, the brands that we're working with mainly want to drive trackable sales. So a lot of the, uh, all of the advertisement content we're producing is teamed up with paid social media ads, um, which makes it very easy to track how many people are viewing your content, how many people are engaging, how many people are clicking through to that ad and either, you know, going to uh, your website and buying something or filling out a a lead form and that kind of thing. So I think it's understanding what is that customer journey that you want someone to go through to become a customer and then setting up the processes, uh, you know, and if you're not selling products, say you're a service-based business, using tools like HubSpot to set up your, your online sales funnel so that you can track someone's come from a video that you posted on LinkedIn, they've got in touch with you, you've added them into your CRM and sales system HubSpot, you've noted as one of the the uh, the tabs that they came through LinkedIn and then you take them through that journey. So understanding what you're trying to achieve and then setting up the processes to track that customer journey. But HubSpot's such a good tool. Like we've from using HubSpot, it's it's really helped our business grow. Yeah. So for those who don't know, so HubSpot's obviously a CR, uh, customer relationship management tool, isn't it? So you basically plug a load of customer data in there. 
which you can kind of draw in from various different sources. You, you, you know, your website, lead forms, Facebook ads and things like that. Tag the people as they kind of go through your sales funnel, marketing funnel. Um, and then you can, you can kind of produce some pretty reports at the end of it, which kind of tells you about how successful the campaign was. Yeah, it's an absolute game changer. I think that the main thing that's helped us is when you start to get more leads coming in, it make it ensures that you're doing everything needed to effectively to take them through each steps of that sales process because you can set tasks and reminders when they, you know, when they get in touch with you and you set up a call, you can write notes in there and set a reminder to follow up in three days. And when you've got multiple deals coming to this this sales funnel, it ensures you're effectively doing everything you need to do when you need to do it to take them through that process to get as many of them from prospects to paying customer. So, so, so all of those 11 touch points that Dan Priestley kind of talks about, I, I remember um, Dan was talking to me um, uh, about Tesla when they first came into the UK and started opening up um, their showrooms. And at the time, the showrooms didn't even have a Tesla car in it because the cars didn't exist, but they opened the showrooms up anyway. And he was saying that um, he happened to speak, I think it was to like one of the, the sales directors, regional sales directors in, for Tesla in the UK. And they had something like 36 different touch points that somebody would typically go through after they've done a test drive with Tesla. And uh, they had 36 to select from. And the typical Tesla purchaser would go through at least 21 of them. And the sales team had a, they had a, a, a game which they used to play against each other, which was how quickly can we get through the 21 touch points to make yeah. the sale? It wasn't yeah. even about the sale. It was just how quickly can we get them through mm. the touch points? Um, and I find that you know remarkable. You know, and then you've got these big businesses that are taking all of these bits of data and analyzing them, and they know that it takes 21 touch points. Again, it's like you know the small business owner struggles with this because it's like we're overwhelmed with all these different activities and tasks we've got to do. Now we've got to also install HubSpot and start you know tracking it through. Yeah, but I think. <laughs> it's really it's a really um, important thing you're saying about these different touch points because for us we've we've experienced that you know someone who what our first kind of big bigger brand that we worked with was Eurotunnel the kind of underground train system from the UK yeah. to France and I remember literally about five years ago the marketing manager there saw me speak at an event and followed me on Twitter and then three years later they became a customer and when we spoke to him and kind of started to understand you know where did you come from we don't really he said oh I've watched you speak at that event I've read your blog every week I followed your journey and looked at the work you're doing and eventually when you got to a point of delivering the kind of work we think you could help with then I became a customer so it's so important to have those different touch points um, and understand that you have to be doing different things on different platforms and different channels there's no it's no good saying right my strategy is to use just LinkedIn to get customers or just speaking at events or you know just email marketing you need to have those multiple channels to to, to nurture customers from prospects to paying customers and also it's not just about having the multiple channels but show up in them consistently yeah um, you know the, the amount of times i see people who've kind of um you know it's almost like they're snakes they shed their skin every five minutes and they're doing something slightly you know completely different yeah. they're experimenting too with too much frequency and i believe that you know once you've kind of understood who your audience is and where they, where they hang out you show up there like you know regularly and often with the same consistent message and eventually they'll say yes yeah definitely Definitely, yeah. I and agree. It, from a from a content, so you also you know that we talked about kind of the, the video and sort of advertisement side of things, but obviously that links in kind of the back end of that where you actually display it through doing sort of content marketing, social media marketing. It's important, I guess, you don't just produce a, a great 
you know, advert, advertainment video, and then expect that it's just going to take off. You have to give it a bit of launch, don't you? Yeah. And I think it's important to understand we're we're talking about advertainment here, which is one small type of content you could be producing to publish online. But I guess uh, the more kind of valuable thing for listeners and viewers to understand is you need a broader strategy in place to understand what are the different channels that your potential customers consume information on? What's the, the journey they normally go through, through to identify a, a supplier like you and to trust you and decide that you're the best solution to their problem? And once you understand this bigger picture of, you know, like a traditional marketing funnel, the journey you go through from becoming aware to trusting you to becoming a customer, you can then start to map out, you know, which platforms you're going to use and what actions you need to take on each of those platforms Producing advertainment videos isn't for everyone, but it's one approach we found highly, highly effective at at the top of that funnel and throughout the funnel to attract, convince, and convert customers. So I guess if working backwards a bit, if you haven't got that strategy in place to start with, producing an advertainment video isn't going to do what you want it to. It needs to fit into that broader strategy of understanding what you want to achieve and what you need to do to achieve that. Well, that's it. I mean, you can send somebody all the leads in the world, but if they're shit at selling, then you screw. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and this is, I guess we're kind of talking about smaller tactics now rather than understanding the bigger picture, I think. And I'm sure like a lot of the clients, clients you speak to and you coach, you must be looking at a broader strategy of understanding, you know, yes, these are small tactics using social media, speaking at events, networking, but it's understanding that bigger picture of what's going on to, and having a clear kind of plan in place for what you need to be doing. Yeah. Well, for me, it always starts with understanding your audience, like who's who's your ideal client and like, what, what, what are they into? Because if if you don't have that critical piece of information, it doesn't matter how good your marketing is. It's, it's, you're kind of marketing at nothing. Exactly. You're trying to market to everyone, and it and that just doesn't work either. I want to shift gears a bit, Dan, because I'm really you, you touched. We almost went there with um, when you're talking about kind of when you first um, set up your business. But how did you kind of get into marketing in the first place? Where did the journey begin? So I did a business management with marketing degree at the University of Brighton. Learned nothing about marketing, um, and just had a really good time. And then went in, got a degree, and then I did a graduate scheme at a company called Enterprise Rent a Car. Have you heard yeah, of them? Yeah, I know. Yeah. That. Yeah. We'll pick you up. They basically train you up to learn how to run a branch, how to manage a team, customer service, sales, marketing. And then after a year of working up to assistant manager, I hated my life. And (laughs) I was working loads of hours and was basically running a business, but not getting the benefits of it being my own business. Um, So I I had a meltdown. And I had this opportunity, uh, this golden opportunity to work in a company in London, like my dream job. And I had a phone interview at 9 p.m. at night because I didn't have any other time to do it. I did the phone interview. The guy, uh, get on the phone. Are you ready for this interview? Yep. He asked me one question and it's never happened to me before, but I literally couldn't speak. And I just couldn't answer any questions. And I hung up the phone, uh, fall to the ground, cried my eyes out, and basically had a bit of a breakdown. And then... uh, (laughs) And then... When um, I called my my mum and dad up and said, oh, I just hate my life. I want to come home. I moved home with my parents 
And then my dad gave me an ultimatum and said, right, you've got a degree in marketing. You either need to get a job or you can work for my consultancy, apply what you've learned at uni, see how it goes for three months. And if you're earning enough to pay your way, then, you know, see where it goes from there. And then um, started, I basically, I remember Googling because I learned nothing about digital marketing at uni. I literally Googled, how, how do you do marketing? How do you do online marketing? And I learned how to use social media through literally tutorials online and applying it to my personal brand and just became obsessed with building an audience and learning how to use social media to sell stuff. Started getting our own clients, small, like one of the first clients was a small hotel, and then just built up from there, set up our own agency. I set up our agency and then started to get bigger, better clients. My, my brother came on board and now over the, like the first four years, we're just figuring out what on earth we're doing, how we can add value for clients. And the last two years has been building our team. Now that we really know how our value proposition and, and how to help clients, we're now six of us in the last 18 months, we've hired another three people and got our own office and things. We, we worked in my parents' back room for the first four years, which was interesting having your mum hoovering in the background whilst <laughs> on a business call. But yeah, that's kind of how I've got to where we are. <laughs> it's, it's, um, well, thank you for sharing that. It's, um, it sounds like it's a really sort of courageous decision that you made in that sort of moment of time. And, and a lot of people are too fearful a lot of the time to kind of step out for safe, comfortable jobs, paying you a reasonable salary. And yeah, we can put up with the people around us because that's really safe and easy. And actually yeah. to kind of have that moment of realization, albeit it sounds like it was slightly forced on you by that yeah. night. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but, but to then say, right, I'm just going to go home and just try and figure this stuff out. I think I was in such a stressed place where like, I just didn't care if I completely mucked everything up. I just wanted to get out of the situation of working such long hours and being so stressed. So yeah, good yeah. for you. I mean, uh, what <laughs> what advice would you give to somebody who's kind of in a similar situation? Um, uh, I'd say um, even if like, say you've built yourself up to a position where it's quite a lot of pressure and you're earning a good amount of money, it's better to, uh, you know, sacrifice money for not having as much stress. So I would have happily left that. I was, I was well paid as an assistant manager, um, to, for, as an entry level marketing job to just not be hating my life basically. <laughs> yeah. And also another courageous decision, which you took on, which was to work with family. So, mm. uh, you know, good for your dad for help sort of giving you a bit of a leg up and giving you that ultimatum, but then to work with your brother. Yeah. It's, I, I tell you what, it's the best thing I've ever done. Really? Because his his skills are the complete opposite of mine. Um, uh, he like his role is CEO, and he manages our team and our projects. I head up our own sales and marketing, and he he brings in the complete opposite set of skills that I don't have. And we work, we, we disagree on everything, and come to a better solution because of it. Well, it's it's that process of kind of like um, success comes from failure at the end of the day. If you if you kind of throw all of the ideas into the melting pot, you're going to get a much more diverse set of ideas. And out of that, you can pluck the best one. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it's it's being honest with each other as well. Like we found something I find with family, working with families, we know that there's no ulterior motive with each other. We both want each other to be hugely successful because we love each other and we're family. And knowing that, you know, uh, having a business partner that wasn't family, I think it would be more of a struggle to know they may have ulterior motives like, oh, I may exit at this point. I don't think I'm quite into this. Whereas we're both like, I want him to be hugely successful and happy. He wants me to be hugely successful and happy. So let's do whatever we need to do to both be on that journey together rather than, um, 
Yeah, rather than sort of having any kind of ulterior motive. Yeah, I'm going to do a bit of um, spend my next block of thinking time thinking about whether I'd like to go into business with my brother or not. Do you reckon you would? <laughs> well, do you know what? It's funny actually because we're we're both um, very we're it's only a couple of years between us, but we're both very much into kind of pr- like projects, building stuff. Yeah, um, cool. and so like the amount of times he comes to me with these amazing things like things that he's built he's so talented so he's into like carpentry and uh, he he built this amazing electric bike which i've gone on to build one as well since and he's very like he he does a load of upcycling but like a tote not like your facebook marketplace yeah yeah you like real good stuff um so he's incredibly creative just doesn't quite have the business side of things down that's where you come in i have yeah (laughs) when he when he started building these electric bikes i was like mate you start a business doing that but he just never quite had the confidence to be able to push forward and do it yeah i think i've had that my fiance is like a hairdresser and uh i've always been like right let's let's set you up your own salon let's do this but i think you need to be in that mindset of wanting to do it to for it to and work like him i think his... that's that's the difference with him he's kind of like quite happy just having these projects yeah. he can fiddle around Which is with great. He, he doesn't want to be too busy you know just mm. kind of like he's got he's doing up his house and stuff like that so he wants time to mm. do that so you know he has his own agenda and you have to respect that yeah do you think you'd get on with each other working like do you think there'd be much friction if you were working together or oh, i think we get on we get on absolutely fine mm. i think you know again like probably like you and your brother we'd both throw a couple of ideas in and then just pick whichever one is the best yeah. one, you know, whichever yeah. one's going to produce the best outcome cool nice. um in terms of kind of um so where you're at now with the business obviously you're you're you, you've kind of moved through the gears in terms of types of clients which you're working with and you've got some really great clients you know at the moment now by the sounds of it what's kind of coming up for you in 2021 and you know the next few years so we've got this 2030 plan that we um we uh, mapped out, you know, what's the end point of our business? Where do we want to be? And then we built a plan moving backwards. So we've got every year and every quarter, we know exactly what revenue we need to be generating. We've worked out in our HubSpot what um, an unconverted deal is worth. And we've, we're just working towards that end goal of growing, growing the business, getting more work in, you know, we work like we work on a really exciting project with a, a, a large wine importer at the moment. We've got lots of wine in the office. We're doing video shoots with, which is fun. <laughs> My kind um, of project. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we're running a big Christmas campaign for wall. That's about to go live. Uh, you know, the, the big yearly campaign promoting their flagship product, um, and just various other interesting products. We're working with a psychologist, um, which uh, is interesting. We're, we're doing a whole documentary with him, like a Netflix-style documentary really? following his life journey and stuff. There's just loads of... I think, like, what I've realised is as we've progressed and we know what we're good at and we, we've, we've improved and we've said no to more things, we're getting the projects that we really get excited about and we know we can kind of do absolutely kill it with. Whereas when you start out, we would just say yes to everything because we want to pay our bills. <laughs> Whereas now we're like, we I know... You, you and every other business owner out there. Yeah. <laughs> <out>, I think. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, just lots of exciting stuff happening, really. I've got a one-year-old son, which you probably heard screaming in the background at some point. So um, yeah, it's exciting seeing him grow up. And uh, yeah, it's all good. It's it's interesting what you just said there about kind of the whole thing around sort of um, pricing and saying no to people and like I think it's one of the biggest fears is like if I if I say no to somebody I can't pay my mortgage I can't pay my 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 you know put food on the table and I I always say to people if you're worried about that you're not operating in your client's best interests because 
you know, all of a sudden, like if, if it's, if you're selling somebody to pay for your stuff, like you, you might, you, you know, ethically, morally, people might be like decent people, but they might not realize they're doing their client a disservice exactly. by saying yes to it. I've always, because I manage our sales and marketing, I've always gone with my gut and always got input from my brother, but always like we've had some incredible opportunities that could have like doubled the size of our business, but we've had an inkling that like a bad feeling about what the company's doing and that kind of thing. And we haven't gone for it. And I think being able to say no and, and like at the, definitely depends where you are in your journey of your business. Like I'm saying this now at the start, we were just saying yes to everything because you're like in that. But when you, through experience, you start to realize what, um, like the types of businesses and, and the types of people you want to work with. And you, you realize that, uh, you know, if you get any gut feeling that someone isn't happy or isn't going to be a good client to work with, then go with the gut feeling of not working with them because trust me through experience, it, is you know is hell. <laughs> it's really interesting, actually. I'm going I'm to share something which I haven't shared with many people. A couple of people know about this, but um, so we we've only ever had to give two refunds in Fearless Business, right? Mm. So, and I, I have a hand on heart. I will never take somebody's money if I feel that I haven't mm. given them the results which I promised them up front. So the two people. So one of them, I ended up. One was just genuinely we couldn't get the result, and I felt yeah. bad about taking the money. The other one, though, just turned out to be a total and utter cock. And we <laughs> we we he came into the program, wasn't in it for particularly long we didn't realize i just got that really bad gut feeling about it yeah. and there's a couple of things that he said yeah. and the way he behaved on the coaching calls and things so i paid him off to get rid of him i was like i'm really yeah. sorry i don't want to coach you anymore and we had a quite a lot of pushback because he was really adamant he wanted to be in the program yeah. but what was it was really interesting because my gut instinct was right because i found out very quickly afterwards that he'd actually pitched five people in the group in the two weeks he'd been there oh. he, pitched, he was a coach as well so he pitched five people to come and join his program oh what wow but and i and i kind of said to people listen if anything ever like that happens in the future first, the first thing you must do is come and tell me about it but obviously i had a feeling that this was going on and yeah i, I see sometimes i see there is a tax on saying yes to the wrong people Mm. whether it's a dumb tax that things oh, definitely. Well and it costs you money or whether it's a tax on stupidity that you just end up with dickheads and you in like yeah. working with dickheads and that yeah. that always comes at a cost you know mentally and then sometimes you can just make a, a just a mistake and take on the wrong client and like, it costs you a bit of time money isn't the be all and end all like if even if you've got a huge opportunity on the table you're thinking wow that's a load of money it, you know, that could be a load of stress as well. And you could hate your life for a year of working with that company to win loads of, to get loads of money. So it's, it's trying to weigh up. It's also, I think through experience, you get better at using your initiative. Like I remember looking back when I was so naive and I was starting out in business, I would just, if someone showed a slight bit of interest, I'd instantly think they're going to become a customer. And I'd just be saying yes to everything. When some people weren't the right fit, I think you kind of learn through experience, don't you, to understand like what your niche is and, and you know where you work best that's it cool listen we're, we're coming towards the end of the um the interview now and i've got a couple of questions just to kind of wrap things up so how can people get hold of you dan uh so our website noltonmarketing.co.uk literally my surname marketing.co.uk um we've got examples of our work there and you can get in touch and i'm also very active on social especially linkedin under my name Cool. Excellent. Um, and you've also got your own podcast as well. Yes. The business anchors podcast. Yeah. It's my brother and I basically waffling on talking about uh, challenges we're facing, funny things that happen in the business and how we're overcoming them. 
Awesome. Yeah. Great. Well, we'll make sure that we share all of those links into the show notes. So um, I've got one more question, which I, I normally ask. I kind of, I think I might know when you're going to go back to, but we're going to hop into the fearless business time machine, which is better than the DeLorean out of Back to the Future. Far <laughs> fewer Iranians involved. Amazing. Um, and we, we, you get to punch in the, the year that you go back to. So you're going to T minus X number of years and you're going to meet Dan in that time. What, when would it be and what would you say to him? Um, I reckon it would be when I was about 16 and I'd say, um, I'd first of all say, uh, persist. It's going to take you a lot longer to get to where you want to get to. Don't give up. And I'd also say, um, start working on building something now. If it's an interest, like I wish when I was like 16, I just started selling stuff or learn how to build a website then I just feel like I'd be so much further ahead of where I'm now I think I kind of mucked around a lot when I was younger and didn't really get that I should be developing myself as a person so I think that's what I'd do yeah I think well I think you're possibly being a bit hard on yourself because I don't think <laughs> any 16 year olds know like what they're just always is you know girls and drink and that's it so yeah um, so I don't think you're too dissimilar to most 16 year olds. Um, yeah. it's interesting actually, cause I, I share a similar thing. So in 2004, when we were building sort of our first websites commercially, you know, you think in 2003 Zuckerberg was sort of, you know, just building out the first version of, um, Facebook out of Harvard. Oh, and, of course um, you could be saying about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my, my thought, so I spent years building these websites, fantastic websites for people that got them loads of business and loads of leads. And it wasn't until, I don't know, probably eight, 10, eight, nine years later. So heading into sort of the 2010s that I had this kind of moment of realization. I was like, I was on the cutting edge of all of these different social media channels and websites, businesses and things like that. And I was so busy building out everybody else's dreams. that I didn't build anything for myself. Yeah. And I wish well, I just stopped at that point and just what's, what's the, what's the idea? I guess you never know though, do you? Yeah. I also think we shouldn't live like wishing ourselves away and, Oh, if only I would have done that, if I don't, because, because all of the things that we've actually done that we might not consider to be, have impacted helping us get to where we ha have got to, there would be little nuances in our life that have happened that have actually helped us. So yeah. yeah well, I, I have a philosophy, which is no regret. I don't regret any of that. Yeah. So, you know, I certainly wouldn't change any of it either. Mm. I might have bought $5,000 of shares in Facebook, but yeah, it, the only thing is like the, the way I look at it now is like exactly what you said. Everything that you've learned now, you gather most of your wealth and knowledge in the last couple of years of your sort of your lifespan, your working lifespan. Mm. As it were. So it's actually exponential. Um, yeah. And actually there's people who've looked at sort of um, entrepreneurs and their finances and they actually accrue 50% of their wealth in the last two years that they're, they're, they're an entrepreneur and they're wow. business. So yeah. it's, it's like this massive exponential journey, which I would put myself, I'm still on, on the yeah. cusp of, you know, Me even too, at though. I feel the same. I think also it's, it's kind of cliche, but like it's the journey that's the best bit. If, if like I could go back to myself when I was 16 and say invest in Facebook or Tesla or Apple um, and then I was just a millionaire now, I don't think I would be as fulfilled as actually being on this journey of, do you know what I mean? Well, it's and like the creative side, the creative side would be different because, you know, what we talked about right at the start of the conversation about the ad campaigns mm. you're creating for your clients, that might not exist. And actually think of the value in the lives that are changing as a result of people seeing those ads. Exactly. It's like when you hear of like high performance athletes, like, um, 
who's the boxer, the massive boxer. I can't remember his name now, but when these athletes like become world champions, they work so hard all their lives to get there, they get there and then they become depressed because they're, they've, they've reached that end point. It's like the whole journey that's fulfilling. So I don't know if I even want to reach the end point that I want to get to. I want to just be on an amazing journey and enjoy it. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. Like the end is not the goal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the journey. That's so important. Mm. Awesome. Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for um, giving up your time to come onto the podcast I know you've had a long day as well so hopefully you can go and relax and have a beer and just chill out with your baby for a second I will <laughs> good man thanks ever so much cool. thanks for having me